0: That was like, oh, good morning. Well, you know, I'm going to take that in and just work on that in my own little heart. So, hey, we are so glad you were here. Let me give you uh, one really big announcement. Uh, Next Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5, there's going to be a group of people. In fact, the entire community is invited. uh, A group of people who are going to be gathering to praise and to pray uh, just as as one body. And so we want to encourage you to be part of that. And so if you have uh, no plans from 3 to 5 tomorrow, now you do. Uh, and if you already had plans from, th- I'm sorry, the 3 25th. to 5, the 25th, next Sunday. Uh, didn't I say next Sunday? Yeah, but then you said yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. It's not tomorrow. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to correct myself, Kelly. On Thank she you, Kelly. You so the 25th of October is a Sunday. <laughs> And so, but if you did have plans, um, cancel them uh, and then say you found something much better to do with yep. your time. Yep. And so uh, we, are, we are thrilled. We have been praying uh, for the last couple of weeks about what God will do during our time as we uh, gather. And so uh, we want to make sure you are aware of that. And then uh, secondly, we're uh, a couple of weeks into our merge groups and our merge student groups. Uh, and so we want to make sure you have all the information you need. Uh, about that to be uh, included. Uh, one of the things that we have added for the uh, Merge Adult Groups is a... Uh, is it, which one is it? Team Zoom meets Zoom. But, okay, see, this is where we need to have a meeting. So, So, we, on top of that, there's not right an now. adult group this week. There is a student group this week. You know, just... It's good to see you. Stand up. Shake hands. Say it's good to see you.
1: Sing
2: I pray that as we sing the words, God, that without your sacrifice, we wouldn't be here. How far from this place we would be without you. And so, God, I thank you for that. I pray that we celebrate that this morning. And I pray that we also have the the humility, the vulnerability to, to confess before you that our flesh fails. Our flesh fails. And we thank you for being a God who never fails. And I pray that we find a refuge in that. So we sing this morning to you. We pray this morning to you. I pray that our hearts would meet with you in this place. We love you. We do this in your son's beautiful and holy name. I need you. much, Father, that you defeat all, you are stronger, you are greater than all, and our hearts sing hallelujah, we pray that with our mornings, with our evenings, with everything in between, our voices would rise, our hearts would would arise right now. We would arise, we rise to meet you right now. Father, we love you. As a new song this morning. And as you sing these words, great is your faithfulness to me. My hope is that you're able to see your story, your testimony, that his promises are for each and every heart in this place. And that our call, our response, is to put our whole heart, our whole faith into Jesus our anchor, our anchor. So pray this song to him this morning.
1: Time and time again You have proven You'll do just what you say Through the storm up.
2: so often we forget it, so often our flesh is weak, so often the lens through which we see this world, this creation is misinformed, is misunderstood. That with everything that we have in our lives, everything we have in our families, in our jobs, that we point to you, we point to you, we point to your truth. And for all of us, every single heart in this place, to do that, we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to repent. We have to seek revival. We have to scream it with our lives, that great is your faithfulness to me, from the rising sun to the setting
1: Savior, that our lives would scream this, our love
2: for you, our thankfulness for you. We pray this morning, Father, for your healing. Over this nation, and that it would be our desire, our passion to point the loss to you. And when we stray, we thank you that you would leave the 99 to come find us. your son's beautiful name, amen, you guys can be seated.
0: I'll tell you this, the, uh, <clears throat> over the last couple weeks, God has met me uh, in that song uh, in, in some very uh, real, uh, very personal ways. Um, and I, I love because there are seasons when when God will speak through songs, uh, and then uh, there are seasons when He speaks to me uh, through His Word, and and that those words that we just got to sing, um, they're more than just the uh, the warm fuzzies that you get. Uh, they are to me they are becoming powerful anthems of my heart of of how good. God is to us, uh, how faithful He remains to us and uh, and I find it interesting because in where we are at in our uh really in our Sundays when we 're walking through the word together we're that's kind of become the theme on uh, on god's faithfulness, even in the times when uh, we struggle to see that faithfulness and so uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead open them up to Uh, Exodus chapter 12, uh, we're spending time traveling or really caravanning with the Israelites as they're being rescued uh, by God from the slavery of the Egyptians, and they're on their way uh, back to their promised land. And and the exodus that they are on is incredibly helpful, and I think relevant, and, and I believe timely, uh, for us today because in it we get to see uh, God doing incredible things as he displays his glory over kingdoms and over creation and then uh, at the same time we get to see the response of, of man's heart really uh, we get to see uh, The Israelites as they they struggle With trusting God in all circumstances and that that's ultimately what God has always told them like like just trust me In All circumstances and and I I told you a couple weeks ago that that no one no group of people frustrates me more than the Israelites uh, But really no other people exposes me more in the Bible than the Israelites because I'm just laid out just like they are Uh, And so so God comes in and he says he says trust that when I move uh, And what I say that I'm going to do I will do those things and and so, so in all these circumstances, and, and but what we find with the, the Israelites, and, and I think if we're honest, what we find with ourselves at times, is a very real temptation uh, to go toward this willingness to return to a slavery uh, that we were crying out for God to deliver us from. Because uh, that will that's, be the MO. Uh, as we walk with the Israelites, they will consistently point back and say, man, we had it better then. Uh, forgetting that they were desperately crying for God to deliver them from that, and so, so in these series of discussions, what we what we kind of want to do is we want to we want to come in each week and we want to do primarily two things. We we want to explore the promise that God is making with the Israelites and by extension, us. And then uh, as we look at that promise, we want to ask ourselves, how does Jesus bring us a better promise than what the Israelites were? We're experiencing and and we started this two weeks ago with uh, that when we suffer God is near uh, and this was coming as the Israelites relationship with Egypt was was shifting uh, from coexistence to oppression uh, a new Pharaoh again a new Pharaoh came along who did not Honor the difference that Joseph made in protecting Egypt during a time of famine and he grows very suspicious and he grows very fearful of of the Israelites, so he places them into bondage. And, and the better promise that we explored was was that, that in Christ we have a Savior who understands suffering since he suffered in greater ways uh, and, uh, as he goes to the cross. And then last week we, we picked up, and again, we've, we haven't really found uh, that, that, that Brady Bunch ending that we want at the end of the episode. Uh, Where everything just kind of just wraps up in a neat little bow Uh, Because last week we we picked up their story in a really hard place as as we began uh, with the Israelites learning from Moses and Aaron how how their prayers Have been heard and how God was in the process of delivering them and and they get excited and then very quickly that hope gets snuffed out while Pharaoh brought an an even greater oppression. He tells them, hey, instead of providing straw for bricks, make them collect their own straw, which was putting a lot of strain on their quota. And and eventually their spirits break and they seek refuge. uh, uh, Basically, they seek the refuge of their abuser. Uh, and, And they're willing to settle back into their relationship that, again, they were crying out for God to rescue them from. And the promise we explored was that, that in difficult seasons, that, I'm sorry, that, that difficult seasons are not indications that God has abandoned us, uh, that they're, they're not. In fact, all along this road, uh, God has been very open about the path that he is choosing to take so the world can see his great power and that the Israelites can learn um, uh, intimate things about his treatment of them and his heart for them, and and now now in Jesus we took note of his words uh, as he's on the cross that that were mirroring Psalm 22 and and how it is possible uh, to take your cries and take your groanings to God and still trust in His goodness uh, to to see that he that He will see you through regardless if the circumstance lasts for the night or for the season, or for years, okay? That God is completely truthful in that. And so, so, so God is moving at precisely the time he has always planned to move. And, and that Pharaoh, uh, in these verses, he will never, never, never uh, do something that, go, that throws God for a loop, okay? There won't be a moment that that happens. There, there will not be a moment that Pharaoh makes a move and the heavens start scrambling on how do we react to this? Okay, and, and God has been truthful to them every single time. Now, what happens is they forget that truthfulness, they forget that word based on the circumstance that they are experiencing. And now, thankfully, uh, God's promise to deliver the people was never contingent on their strength, uh, but but on His. And and so so God was working and and moving and and reminding them. Uh, especially in, in chapter 6, just what he would be doing for them because he was their God and they were his people. And, and now by the time uh, we get to chapter 7, God reassures Moses of his plans and and sends him back to Pharaoh uh, to show the signs of, of his sovereignty. Uh, by his mighty hand, God would crush Pharaoh's kingdom uh, and and by the same hand, he would draw his people out. Now, now, what happens next as God displays His glory are are the famous ten plagues. Okay, and now again, uh, we're we're not doing our typical walk through verse by verse through the Book of Exodus. So, so we're going to jump some scenes here. Uh, but what happens next in the Exodus is God puts His glory on display through these these ten plagues. And now Pharaoh, and we said this last week. Uh, that, that God had set himself uh, that Pharaoh had set himself up as as God over the people uh, and so through the plagues uh, the true and the living God is going to show uh, that Pharaoh is not in fact as big as he thinks he is uh, and so uh, in fact God will will wield the forces of creation to unmake Pharaoh in the eyes of the world uh, and so so each plague uh, as it is brought to Egypt uh, really is, is, represents God's judgment against all the false gods that Egypt worships, all the idols that they worship. In fact, uh, for example, uh, the Egyptians would worship uh, the Nile River, as, and they would refer to a god uh, named, named Hopi, uh, and, and they believed it to be the source of life. Uh, in Egypt, and so, so, as God comes along in the first plague, and He turns uh, the the water of the Nile River into blood. It's uh, with the striking of Moses' staff. It, in effect, God is is declaring His intention uh, to claim the life of Egypt and to render them desolate. Uh, and then the plagues begun to increase intensity, Like, the, for instance, the, the first sign of God's sovereignty may have been confined to the banks of the Nile, but the second one uh, was uh, the, the frogs of the land came up out of the Nile and invaded every bedroom and every kitchen and every courtyard and every field in the whole land. And someone says, well, why frogs? Uh, now, I get they can be a, you know... We see a frog, and we're like, well, that's not a big deal. But now imagine your whole land covered with frogs. And, and, and the reason why the frogs come along is the Egyptians worshipped uh, the frog because they represented the goddess uh, Heket uh, who, who offered fertility. And let's just assume that I said that word right. Um, fertility. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Heket. Um, and so, so, so God mocks the egypt uh, mocks the egyptians idols and and the very gods they worship he turns them into plagues against them and 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 after the second plague the message was already uh, becoming inescapable that that god not pharaoh was sovereign over his people and was sovereign over egypt but but pharaoh's heart with each one becomes harder and harder and harder and and he would not let the people go and so so plague after plague it just continues to escalate you get gnats you get flies you get the death of livestock you get boils you get hailstorms, you get locusts you get darkness and and each and every time pharaoh has this opportunity to relent uh but uh, he has this opportunity to release God's people and see an end to the plagues. Yet, uh, despite the, the immense suffering uh, that that, brought, that was brought upon Egypt, Pharaoh foolishly and stubbornly refuses. Uh, now, there's a case to be made uh, that God wouldn't let him anyways, because uh, God has said all along, "I will harden Pharaoh's heart." Uh, and so, uh, but with each successive plague built up to the final. Uh, to, and the, really the most devastating one. Uh, the final plague, the tenth one, was was God's promise to kill every firstborn in Egypt. In fact, that's where we'll pick up. Let's go, uh, I think I told you Exodus 12. Let's go to Exodus 11. Um, for you, Chris, that, that's the other way that's left. And so, uh, so it says this. We'll pick up in verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight... I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, uh, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. And so, so the final plague, right, more than any other, would strike at the heart. ...of Pharaoh's idol worship. Uh, In fact, he saw himself as God, as ruler of all the other gods in Egypt... ...and he saw his firstborn son as just simply the next incarnate God to succeed him. And so it's as if uh, throughout the first nine plagues, Pharaoh was willing to suffer the losses... uh, ...that that came with every other God being crushed. uh, Because... His most precious God has not yet to be touched, and and so at the very least he could reason his Egypt would survive through his son, and and but but God has promised to overcome Pharaoh's resistance uh, by His mighty hand, and this final strike would be uh, His deadliest. And so, in fact, uh, again, I just want to take you back. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. We go back Exodus three. That's way more left, Chris, for you. Um, But he says this, he says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Okay, so it's important that we would remember that because at the end of our time today, guess what Pharaoh is going to do? Nobody's going to get he's going to let him go. Exactly. Heather, you win the gold star. All right, so, so, so in, in, now here's what here's what I want us to focus on when it comes to the killing of the firstborn. That in in some of the plagues, God targets only the Egyptians, not the Israelites. Uh, for example, uh, in the fifth plague, only uh, the Egyptian livestock died, while while the livestock of the Israelites live. and uh, And this was part of God's demonstration of sovereignty to Pharaoh. In all of Egypt, and so 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 the plagues were not accidents, and they weren't just random natural disasters. Uh, that they were selective, and they were they were intentional judgments against Egypt by the true Creator God of the universe. Now now in the final plague though, the death of Egypt's firstborn, it's it's different, and we're going to talk about why that's different. And the death sentence was against every household in Egypt, every household that worshiped the gods of Egypt including the households of the Israelites uh, yet yet somehow God would still make a distinction between Egypt and Israel in fact uh, I think at this point our natural reaction is to say well of course he would make a distinction because uh, clearly the Israelites are the good guys and the Egyptians are the bad guys, that that he loves his people and he hates those who oppress them. And and this is the way we tend to identify with the Israelites, right? While we point fingers at at other people that we consider to be pharaohs and taskmasters and and the real evildoers. And I think this is where uh, we see that that the suffering we've been walking through over the past few weeks, uh, our view of suffering is polluted even by sin, uh, because the sufferer is also a sinner. Okay, you with? That That when we look at the Israelites, they too are sinners, just like the Egyptians. And so the Israelites suffered terrible slavery in Egypt, but they also served its gods. In fact, we, we know this uh, because of the way the Bible looks back at their time in Egypt, about 40 years from this moment that we're in right now, uh, Joshua will be preparing to lead the next generation of Israelites into the promised land, and he urges them in in Joshua 24 to put away the gods that their fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Uh, Much later, Ezekiel, the the prophet Ezekiel would look back on his days uh, of the Israel's days in Egypt, and he would rebuke them uh, for their idol worship, and He will call them things that, if we had the ability to earmuff your kids today, I would go ahead and tell you what they are. Uh, but we're not going to do that because I don't want you to have to work today to explain what that word was that I just said. Uh, and so you are welcome. And so, so, so here's the point: that that nobody, nobody in Egypt stood guiltless before God. There wasn't one. And so, so not even. The Israelites, every household stood to lose its firstborn unless God somehow made a distinction between them. But, but now the question is, how could God justly distinguish between the Egyptians and the Israelites when every one of them was an idolater? And, and as shocking as it may seem, the Israelites deserved the same fate as their oppressor, uh, Pharaoh the blood of the firstborn would be shed. Now, now God, abounding in his love for his people and ready to make good on his promise to deliver them, knew what it would take to break them out of slavery despite their sin. Uh, and, and so so he provided for them a substitute. Uh, in fact, a uh, spotless Passover lamb uh, whose blood would be shed in the place of of their own. And and he promised that if they would just simply paint the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their homes when 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 the angel of the Lord came in and struck down every firstborn of Egypt, he would literally just pass over that household. So he provided a way. Now, this is what I think is interesting. We don't see the Israelites coming in and say, "Yeah, I get that you're providing a way, but really just one way here?" Just Just one way? I mean, can't there be another way too? Because I want, you know, Neapolitan ice cream. I want all three flavors. And I think it's only fair that you give it. No, we don't. That argument isn't brought to the table at all. That God provides one way of restoration and rescue and protection in this situation. And uh, in fact, he would pass over their homes and and all within would be spared the wrath that, that they deserved. Uh, And so let's go, uh, Exodus 12, uh, verse 12. He said, this is what God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. uh, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This has been his promise all along. It's been his promise all along. And so so the lamb's blood signified the death that Israel's firstborns deserved. And yet God, in his mercy, provided uh, the unstained blood of a perfect land to stand in the place of their Firstborn, and now, now imagine, if you will, that that faithful night, uh, as midnight hits and the Lord's messenger of death passes through Egypt from house to house, and imagine him arriving at the first home and looking through its windows and seeing the idols of Egypt strewn about, and clearly this is an Egyptian home filled with with idols and idolaters, and he enters and he claims the life of the family's firstborn, and then he moves to the second one and he sees the exact same thing and then he moves to the third one and, and and then he looks and he sees the Egyptians idols, but then he looks up and he sees on the doorpost blood that has been placed and he passes right over and and then all of a sudden the cries of Egypt begin to roar uh, and then some of the loudest groanings come not from Israel's homes but from the palace. In the Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, Then he, Pharaoh, as he realizes that his son has just died, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And then he says something really bizarre to me. And bless me also. Because this Pharaoh who thought he was God is learning in this moment he indeed is not. And this was a night God's people would never forget. They wouldn't. In fact, they would, they would commemorate it every year with the Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they would tell their children and their grandchildren how the Lord passed over them and redeemed them out of Egypt. And, and out of the Exodus, we're going to get even more moments where they, they constantly will look back and say, Let me tell you about what God did that day. Let me tell you, let me tell you about this Passover. Let me tell you about this Red Sea. Let me tell you about this manna that he provides. And this will become the anthem of their lives because this is the life that they walked with God. And it is really difficult to tell people of a God that you're not walking with. Okay? And so, so, so pay attention though, because God didn't just pluck the Israelites out of Egypt, a price had to be paid for their freedom because they deserved his wrath as much as the Egyptians. In fact, it was a costly redemption. First we have we have the costliness of the firstborn. That that the Israelites understood that the first of the livestock and the first of the children and the first fruits, they were they were special. They belonged to God as a token of gratitude of his generosity. And all you firstborns in the room are like, yeah, clearly. Why why do my other siblings not get how special and perfect I am, right? Um, and so, so in our culture today, though, we tend to be very idealistic or individualistic uh, about our hopes and our dreams. We, 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 no matter who we are, we think of it as, as my dreams and my achievements and, and my goals. And, uh, and Tim Keller says that he points out that in ancient times, all the hopes and all the dreams of a man and his family rested in the firstborn. And so it creates a complete identity crisis when God comes into Egypt and he says, I'm taking the firstborn. Because their entire structure falls apart. And so, so, so this insight really helps us uh, really, I, I think, appreciate the magnitude of God's love for Israel when he calls them his firstborn in Exodus 4. Uh, in fact, Israel was so precious to him, so special and chosen and beloved, uh, that that it also it, it increases our sense of tragedy over the loss of Israel's firstborn sons when, when Pharaoh went to exterminate them by ordering them to be delivered and then thrown right into the Nile River. And so, so first you have the costliness of the firstborn, and then secondly you have the costliness of, Of the Passover lamb as as we've been saying the Israelites were under just as much condemnation as the Egyptians But by God's merciful provision the blood of a perfect and precious lamb the best they could afford uh, Would spare them and save their the lives of their sons that the life of another would be paid as a ransom for their own And and so so this brings us to Jesus This is our better promise that we have in him because when 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 he serves his disciples at the Last Supper, uh, which, by the way, is a Passover meal, okay? Um, When he serves his disciples at the Last Supper, he says, he breaks some bread and he says, take and eat. He says, this is my body. And then he says, take and drink. For he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out uh, for many for the forgiveness of of sins. And, And in effect, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he says, I am your Passover lamb. I am your perfect sacrifice. And now, uh, ultimately, this is fulfilled on the cross when, when His blood stains the wood and He gave His life as a ransom for ours. In fact, in the Gospel of John, He makes it a point uh, to, to, to take care that we, He points out the fact that, that none of Jesus' bones were broken. Uh, just like the Passover lambs, none of their bones were broken broken. And so in fact Peter recalls this Exodus imagery when, when he declares that that only Jesus' precious blood could serve as our ransom. He says it in 1 uh, Peter chapter 1 he says, knowing that you were ransomed uh, from the futile ways uh, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, not, not that you could buy it uh, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the Christ uh, like the like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, so we can make this very personal to us this morning. That, that the cost of our redemption was terribly expensive. Terribly expensive. Our forgiveness cost God the Father His only Son. Uh, who is of far greater value than the entire world's silver and gold. Now, now, just to, to, if you're a parent, think about this. If someone said, hey, I will give you all the money in the world. But we get to kill your child. Would you be willing to do that? And everybody says, No. That's the answer. Okay? Just to make sure we're all on the same page. Everyone will say no. Now imagine having a son or a daughter and you're mind here, who has never done anything wrong. Like never remotely let you down. Never, never pressed up against you, uh pressed up against your authority. Has you and them have walked in perfect unity. Okay? And even that illustration fails us. We have no concept of that really. We have a desire of that at times. But no concept of that. And so so I think far too easily we take such costly forgiveness for granted. We we don't see our sin as being so great. We don't feel its weight the way that we should. And so so how do we accept the gift of Jesus as our Passover Lamb? That's that's our question. We can start referencing up. And, and we do it the same way the Israelites did, by faith. By faith. God promised if, if they would trust him and if they would paint the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorpost, he would pass over. This faith was no mere feeling or formality. God called them uh, to put their faith to work by painting the doorpost and just simply obey Him. That's all he asked them to do. And so, as it were for the the Israelites, so it is with us. God passes over our sins when, by faith alone, we receive Jesus as our redemption, as as our as our Lamb. It says this in, in Romans chapter three, uh, uh, verses twenty three and twenty five. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and they are we are justified by His grace as a gift uh, through the redemption that is in Christ. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, as a substitute as a payment for uh, us by his blood to be received by faith, so so make no mistake about it, and we talk about this frequently here uh, because sometimes I just want to make you feel bad, I guess I don't know that sin makes us God's enemies it does not only do we owe a great debt but we continue to assault god with our sin and and that is true for you not only on your worst day but also on your best and and so the passover teaches us that no debt of sin is too great to be forgiven because the precious sacrifice of jesus pays it all every single time and so so the joy of forgiveness comes with receiving a priceless gift from a god who lavishes his love upon his children. God would have been unjust, okay? Hear me when I say this. God would have been unjust, and his grace would have been cheapened if he just looks at our grievous sin with, ah, that's okay, I'm sure you tried your best. Maybe maybe you were in pain, or maybe you were depressed, or maybe you felt neglected or rejected. Let's just put all that behind us. If God says that, that he is not true to his word, and his grace is cheapened, and the gospel is weak and empty. So what he does, and hear me when I say this, because this is so incredibly important for us, guys. He names our sin, and he reckons our debt, and he condemns our wrongdoing but then our judge becomes our savior and God grants a gift so generous that only he could give it. Only he could give it. He allows his only son to suffer the death that we deserve. We can't do anything to receive God, to earn God's forgiveness. It's a free gift of God's grace. And receiving God's forgiveness means receiving each part. Both it's condemnation of sin and And it's release of debt. Okay? Both it's condemnation of sin. God hates sin. He is wrathful towards sin. And then secondly, being released from that debt because of Christ. To receive its just condemnation is to confess the sin it condemns. And to agree with God about what we've done wrong. Then to repent and to turn from that wrongdoing back to Him in faith. In faith, so so then, and this is essential. We believe God, and we rejoice. This is what the Israelites simply do. God says, "If you want to be saved, you kill one of your your spotless lambs, and you put the blood over the doorpost, and you will be delivered. You will be protected." And so we believe God, and we rejoice. We rejoice that our debt has been canceled. That nothing can separate us. From God's love, not even our own sin anymore. That we believe that our sin is not only forgiven, but it's removed. It's, it's taken away as far as the East is from the West, and that He remembers it no more. That we can rejoice, that, that no one can condemn us any longer, especially ourselves. Okay? There's Romans chapter 8. Beautiful set of verses. And so, so here, here's where we land. The promise is that at your worst God gives his best that's what's happening here at your worst God gives him his best and our better promise is that in Jesus we have a perfect spotless lamb that doesn't just save us from one night of death but an eternity from it that's the beauty of it because get this when the Israelites leave Egypt, they can't go back to that doorpost ever again. That was a one-time moment of deliverance. And so, what we get in Christ is so much brighter, so much, so much brighter, um, so much better, as greater and better. Anyways, here we go. So, so here's the question that remains. Do you believe your sin is so great that God cannot forgive it? Do you do you believe that God has forgiven you but that somehow you still owe him or, or that you must work hard to keep his forgiveness or, or that you need to be reminded often of your forgiven sin to keep you from doing it again? And if you are in Christ today, but you say yes to any of those questions. Here's, here's what I would just like to interject as a jab. What level of arrogance must we have to tell God he almost got it right? What, what kind of pride do we have in our own spirits to say, God, I get what you said, but have you considered this about me? Because in Christ, every single one of those answers is no. It's no. It's, it's, it's that my sin is not so great that God can't forgive. That, that, that God has uh, forgiven me, but I don't owe him anymore because no matter what I could have paid would have not have been enough. That I don't have to work hard to keep his forgiveness because he has said, you are are mine, I am yours and you're not a slave in my kingdom, you're a son and you're a daughter and you have the inheritance of the kingdom waiting for you and available to you I should say I think that if we struggle and we say yes to any of those, I think there's a good chance the enemy is accusing you of sins that God has forgiven you for and so, so we can cling to God's promise of forgiveness against all claim to the contrary. We can hold fast and we can keep living and we can act, keep acting that God's promises are true because he has never been anything but truthful. Now that all applies to those of us who are in Christ. But if you are not in Christ today, then you need to know that, that God has told us there is one way to be made right with him. There is one way, and it's through Jesus. And when you have a gift so priceless and so extravagant, you don't walk into the room and say, yeah, I really wanted another way too. So if that's you today, and you say, yeah, I I do need to get right with God. We want to walk with you. We want to battle alongside you. Maybe you have questions, and we love to answer questions, and we love to ask questions we don't know the answers to as well so that's you today i want to give us an opportunity to respond to that we'll have some people over on this side of the room Uh, just go talk to them takes courage to stand up and talk to them Go, go go do that be courageous today i love you guys our desire this week is to love god bye let us pray father we come to you and we thank you First, we thank you that you're truthful to your word. That in Exodus, what we get to see is just how this played out according to your word and and according to your promise, that that there was never a moment when you were not in control. As a father, as as we sang earlier, give give us faith to trust in your promises, especially in those moments that that we struggle to trust you with. Father, we thank you for Jesus today, the the Lamb of God, the, the perfect and the spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And I pray that our awareness of Him would fuel our desire to press in more and more to you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.